Ever notice that everything you ever thought would make you happy ever after didn't? Oh, me too. It turns out Sean Cassidy was not my soulmate. Orgasms only last a few seconds and money does not buy happiness. Hi, I'm Dr. Cheryl Fraser and welcome to Sex, Love and Elephants, the weekly podcast where we explore relationships, mind and the meaning of life. A place where you are normal if you feel like something's missing, even though you have it all. Because guess what? Happiness is an inside job. How do I know? Well, if a Buddhist nun and a sex expert had a baby, I'm it. I'm a psychologist, sex therapist, and author. I've meditated for 12 hours a day for months at a time. I've studied Tantra in Tibet, and I've taught for people like Tony Robbins and Jack Canfield and helped thousands of couples reignite passion. My mission with a loving heart is to kick your ass off the couch and into awakening. And here's the secret. If you want to cultivate wild love that lasts, compassion and curiosity, and the superpower of being happy for no reason, first, you've got to meet your elephant. So let's go. Welcome to Sex, Love, and Elephants, where today I, Dr. Cheryl Fraser, am going to tackle the really painful topic sung beautifully, in my biased opinion, by The Clash, yes, the punk band, yes, the 1970s, yes, I was a punk rocker, should I stay or should I go now? If I stay, there will be trouble. If I go, there will be double. I'm quite sure due to copyright reasons we can't play that song right now, but I invite you all to download it and listen to it later today. All right, so we're tackling the tough topic today, a topic I've certainly tackled in my own journey I'm on my second marriage and I've had, I'm a serial monogamous, so I've had, you know, seven or eight really important, deep, committed relationships. My first one was when I was 16 years old and I'm now the ripe age of 58 years young, old or in between, depending what, uh, how long I get on the planet. So I've had to face the decision of when to leave a relationship or whether to stay and keep trying myself. Of course I have. I'm a human being on the planet. And I've also been broken up with where I didn't have a choice in the end of a relationship. Most of the ends of my relationship were somewhat mutual. We were banging our head against the relationship wall and getting nowhere. We weren't able to figure out our ongoing repeated patterns and issues. We were um, incompatible, but that's tricky, everybody, because I want to make the point that we're all incompatible. You can listen to previous episodes of this podcast where I talk about how we all are with the wrong person, dot, 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 if we expect them to make us happy all of the time. In my book, Buddhist Bedroom, I talk a lot about the mind of a lover, meaning how am I seeking in my mind? Am I looking for the things you're doing right? Am I looking for the things I am grateful for? Am I looking for the small flickers of hope in the darkness when we're in a really dark phase of our relationship? Lots of arguing, maybe post-betrayal, maybe looking at a fair recovery. When Is it time to leave a relationship? That's what we're talking about today. And I'm going to maybe disappoint you right off the top and say, I don't have the answer for you. Nobody does. 
Nobody has the answer for you because your relationship, you as a person solo, are the determiner of whether to stay or whether to go. Well, let's keep it real. You're part of the determination factor, meaning our partner can decide to walk out and and divorce us or leave us or break up with us and never speak to us again. We don't have control over that. In that case, we have control over how we relate to this dramatic and unexpected or maybe partly expected, usually there's clues, end of our relationship. But if your partner is still in some small way willing to play ball, then it is really you and you and them that decide whether or not you're going to stay in this relationship and keep working to develop it. Or as I say to the couples I work with in my online immersion program and elsewhere, how can we fall in love over and over again with the one we're already with? How can I have relationship 2.0 with my current partner? How can I have a fling with my current partner? How can I revive the sexual excitement between you and I with my current partner? These are difficult things, my dears. And the path of relationship, particularly in the modern era, is really difficult. My colleague, Esther Perel, does a beautiful job of talking about how it's really only in the last 50 years, maybe even more recently than that, that we have this unrealistic model where we expect and want our romantic partner to be our everything, our best friend, our travel companion, our co-parent, our uh, debriefer of the tax return, our lover, our seducer, our buddy, our opera going partner, our fishing trip going partner, and so on and so on. And this is very, very recent in history, in the history of love and romantic relationships. So here we are, and probably the majority of you listening, and certainly me at times in my relationship journey, we have an unchallenged expectation or an unchallenged idea that our relationship should be really deep and rich and meet the majority of our needs and light us up. And as I teach a lot about in terms of the mind of the lover or how you think about your relationship or using your mind to deal with the things that aren't working instead of blaming your partner all the time and demanding that they change, how can you be a better partner? What can you bring to the table? What can you bring to the relationship? I talk about how happiness is an inside job. It's in the introduction to this podcast every week. Happiness is an inside job. How can we learn to be happy for no reason? How can I learn to have a rich, fun, satisfying, contented day, regardless of my partner's behavior within reason? Caveat for safety, for mental health and well-being. I am, of course, not talking about if you are in a dangerous a sexually coercive, physically or otherwise abusive relationship, if possibly your health and well-being and safety or that of your children or other people in your home, your pets is in danger, this episode does not apply to you. Seek crisis help immediately. Find ways to keep you and your uh, dependents, children, pets, etc. safe if you're in a relationship that may not be safe. This does not apply to you. Seek help. Local Psychology Association, most states and provinces and other countries have crisis lines, domestic abuse uh, hotlines, etc., etc. This applies to whether you are male or female, whether you're in a heterosexual relationship, a gay relationship, a trans pairing, or etc. 
What I'm talking about today is not for those of you in an abusive or dangerous or coercive or deeply unhealthy relationship. In that case, it is fairly likely that what you need to do is end the relationship with some support and help. I only said fairly likely because some of you may feel that you're in an abusive relationship and you're meaning an emotionally abusive relationship and a psychologically abusive relationship. You have the uh, four predictors of divorce fighting styles, a lot of contempt, a lot of criticism, defensiveness, and stonewalling. That's based on John Gottman's research. I talk about it in other podcasts in this series. Those things are what I work with couples to renovate. So let me clarify You might be in a verbally abusive relationship. You might be a verbal abuser at times. I am at times when I'm flooded, when I don't use the timeout. Check out some recent podcasts for teachings on these concepts. That doesn't necessarily mean you need to walk away, but hell yes, it means you need to renovate your relationship. You need to improve your relationship if you're going to stay. Okay, so there's a whole lot of context, a whole lot of preview. Let's jump in. Should I stay or should I go? I mentioned in the introduction to this series, oh, by the way, welcome to the Summer of Love series. I'm going to be through the months of July and August offering you these episodes based on your love and sex and relationship questions. You can email them to me at hello at drsherylfraser.com. Put in the subject line question for a podcast or something like that. So my assistant will shoot it over to me. You can give me a little bit of background about your relationship and ask me your relationship question. I'm jumping off today with a frequent question I get. The next episodes will be based on your questions. And that frequent question is, ah, I'm not all that happy. Sexually, it's not very sparky. My partner seems to take me for granted. We're kind of buddies and roommates. I love them, I think, but I'm not in love with them anymore. Sometimes I dream or a lot of the times I dream about a more exciting relationship. I don't know if I should stay. Should I stay or should I go? Am I with the right person? Is this the right relationship for me? So I mentioned in the kickoff to this series in last week's episode that I would be talking about this should I stay or should I go issue. When to break up? When is the healthy or appropriate or reasonable time to let go of a relationship? Spend some time grieving and healing and then open yourself up to exploring a new relationship. And I'm going to mostly be speaking here to those of us in a committed longer term relationship. If you're younger, if you're uh, dating and you've been in a relationship for six, eight months, trying it out, uh, for a lot of reasons, it appears this probably isn't what you want to invest much more time in. This episode isn't so much about that, although hopefully you'll get some tips and tools and ideas to help you with that decision too. But I'm speaking mostly to those of you and myself in a longer term committed relationship, meaning you're common law or uh, you're married or you're committed in some way. You don't necessarily live together either, by the way, but you've been together for a reasonable amount of time, maybe a couple of years, and you're really trying to determine whether this is the relationship. If you've been together a couple of years and you don't live together, you'll be trying to determine whether to take the next step, whether that's engagement, marriage, living together, common law. Most of you in my audience tend to already be in a committed relationship. So you're facing the should I stay or should I go in this relationship that I thought would be my long term love till death do us part. So I'm mainly going to be speaking to that group of you today. I don't know if you should stay or go, minus the caveat of abuse or danger that I already mentioned, but I do know this. 
as I mentioned in the kickoff episode last week, there's some really interesting research where they surveyed a hell of a lot of people that left a committed relationship, either a marriage or a common law relationship, a relationship where the intention in both parties' intention was to be together for the rest of our life, okay? They interviewed people two years later that had left a relationship, a committed till death do us part type agreement, marriage or not, legal or not, that does not matter to me. It's the intention. And what they found, and this was surprising uh, research outcome at the time, is that about half of people, male or female, I believe this was exclusively heterosexual couples, but I cannot recall off the top of my head. So I apologize for that. Most of the people who had left a relationship that were interviewed, excuse me, not most, but about half of the people said, you know, I think I may have made a mistake. I think if I had stayed, we might have been able to move towards a better relationship. Or I think I left for maybe some of the wrong reasons. I was bored. I was discontented. I wanted more. I had an idea that the grass was much greener in someone else's lawn. And in retrospect, you know, we had some strengths. We had some good things. I wish I hadn't left. About half of people who left a committed in-it-for-life relationship said, in retrospect, this was the right call for me or maybe for us. Were I in the same position, I would uh, make the same decision. That should sober you up a little bit. If you're currently thinking, you know, I think I'm done. I think I'm done. But you have an okay-ish relationship that might be redeemable. I don't want you in two years from now to look back and say, and your partner may have moved on by then. They may be committed to even married to a new partner. That certainly happens. Stats indicate that upwards of 80% or more of people do recouple and recommit in marriage or common law. We're a species that likes to couple up. We're a species that likes to have a partner. So chances are, If I leave my partner tomorrow in search of uh, whatever I am in search of, I may find it. I may, in retrospect, think it was the right call for me and hopefully, ultimately, for the person uh, you used to love or I used to love. But there's a decent chance I might decide, at least roughly 50% of a chance, I made a mistake, I want to go back. And there's a hell of a good chance your partner won't take you back because, as mentioned, either they've moved on and they're recommitted to a new person or... Too much damage is done in the breaking up process. So here's some of what I want you to evaluate. Take a deep breath. This is stressful stuff. While you're facing this incredibly painful, incredibly painful topic, should I stay or should I go? First, is your partner at least 5% willing to still be in the relationship. I'm just calling out the elephant in the room, the not good kind of elephant in the room there. If your partner has walked out and says, absolutely, I'm done, we're over, I'm moving on with someone else, or I'm going to eventually have someone else, I want a divorce, or I want to pick up my stuff, or we're finished, you're dumped, it's over. If your partner absolutely refuses in any way to contemplate the fact that you maybe could reconcile or work on things or improve your relationship. By the way, that's my life work. My life work is helping couples improve their relationship. Those of you who aren't yet on the verge of breaking up and those of you that are, there are couples who take my immersion couples program, which will be opening the doors to it this fall in October, 2022 will be the only time this year I'm offering my 12 week immersion couples program. 
The last two years, I ran it twice a year, but we're opening the doors once this year. And for a select few of you that want to do a three-month journey with me, where you get an entire curriculum of couples skills, couples assessments, couples exercises, and couples teaching, where you get weekly live question and answer and coaching calls in a group format with me, uh, make sure you get on the wait list. On that wait list page, there's a video where I talk a little bit about the upcoming program. And you can also, importantly, go to the testimonials page and you can watch and hear from couples just like you about what their experience was in the Become Passion program, my immersion program. And a number of them on that testimonial page are going to talk about the fact that they tried couples therapy, they tried sexual therapy, they were at the end of their rope, uh, as one of them says, one of the couples says, we were at the end of our rope. So about 15 to 20% of the couples who join my program are very much in the should I stay or should I go dilemma, pain, agony. If your partner absolutely refuses to play ball in any way and they say, it is over, Cheryl, I will never try again. I don't want to try again. I don't love you anymore. I do not want this relationship. Then probably you need to accept that and do the work of grieving and letting go and healing. But I'm going to even caveat that this is not my first kick at the should I stay or should I go can. I've worked with so many couples in my career so far, and I've seen couples where one person was adamant it was over, who when they did the work to understand what went wrong, what they were needing, what their partner's needs and point of view was, how it is possible for some couples to turn around a ship that is crashed on the rocks and taking on water to repair it, turn it around and move into a much richer relationship. Even if your partner is dead set against staying and has left and you're in divorce proceedings, if you feel there's a real possibility, you can hold space in your heart for that, but you need to respect that your partner's out you need to proceed with as much compassion and grace as you can in letting them go. If in the future, six months, six years, my dears, they come back and say, you know, I think I made a mistake. If you've held space in your heart for them, it's possible you'll reconcile. But we got to be real. If someone doesn't want to be with you, even if you're pretty sure it's their PTSD or it's their childhood abandonment where their father and mother dumped them at an orphanage when they were six years old and they don't trust anybody to love them, you can say, I love you. I want us. I know we've got problems, honey, but I am willing to work with you to ward the kind of relationship we have. And there's a glimmer. Then I love to cheer you on to say, try, try, try. But if there's no wiggle room, take care of your heart, take care of your dignity. And I mean that in a positive way. You don't have to throw yourself at the feet of the person you love and beg them to see how marvelous you are, my darlings, because you are marvelous. And your former partner, your estranged partner may not be able to see that now and maybe never. And that's their journey. And that's the blinders they have. And that's their work to do or maybe never do. But ultimately, letting go is grace as well. There's a Buddhist story, I've probably referred to it before, where uh, we pick up a hot coal. Think of when I was a kid, we didn't have quick release uh, propane barbecues. We had briquette barbecues. Took about an hour and a half for the dang coals to get ready before you could cook or before, let's be real, dad could cook. Mom's night off when dad barbecued, right? Back in the day. If you were to pick up one of those glowing hot coals, you would burn the hell out of your hand. What's the smart thing to do? You all know the answer. Drop the coal. Are you still burned? Most likely. Are you still in pain? 
very likely. But what good is it to hang on to the hot coal? If your partner's a hot coal and they've left you, they don't want to be with you, they're starting breakup, divorce, separation proceedings, you can hold space for the possible maybe love and that may never happen. But you also need to let go of the hot coal and start healing your heart or in this case, your hand. Okay. Why might you stay? Why might you stay in a relationship that sucks or it feels to you that it sucks? And now even that is a naive and kind of an immature view because when we say it sucks, does the totality of your entire relationship suck? I can guarantee you it doesn't. The fact that they make really good espresso in the morning doesn't suck. Perhaps the fact that they're a good parent and they do a great job of coaching your daughter's uh, dance troupe, that part doesn't suck. The fact that you really like your in-laws doesn't suck. The fact that the two of you are really good at being great together on vacation, that doesn't suck either. So watch out for the mind demons. Listen to some previous episodes on that that say, I'm in a terrible relationship. You're in a relationship. And most of our romantic relationships, excluding those with abuse or danger, have some ups and have some real downs. Here's why you should stay. Here's my teaching, my offering, maybe even my argument as when and how and why to stay. I am a huge fan of the tiny little tea light in the darkness of a giant cave that is flickering and it has not gone out. That's hope. That's possibility. That's the light in the darkness. And that is a flame I've seen some couples in dire straits post catastrophic betrayals, affair, mental health challenges, the death of a child horrible patterns of fighting, verbal abuse, threatening to break up, walking out and not phoning each other for three days. You don't know where they are. I've seen people doing a lot of the uglies. I've done some of the uglies myself. I'm very transparent about this on this podcast. I'm not perfect. I struggle. It's part of why I love and am honored to do this work and am humbled by this work and know we're all growing. I can be verbally critical to the point of being verbally abusive. I can get flooded as every single human being in relationship does at times with really crazy emotions, anxiety, anger, guilt, hurt, fear that can influence me to behave very badly. Listen to previous episodes on flooding, on the four divorce predictors, on the timeout technique for more on that, or join my immersion this fall where I'll coach you through a three-month training on so much of what I'm referring to here, but where I'll get you to practice it. Ask me your questions. We'll spend four or five weeks of the three months on sexuality and so much more. Here's why I want you to consider staying and reinvesting in your relationship on your own, reading a book, going to couples and sex therapy, perhaps joining a program like mine, perhaps joining my program, perhaps figuring it out on your own, going to a couples immersion weekend, going to a personal growth weekend. But here's the thing, my darlings. So much of our relationship misery can be rehabilitated. So much of our communication patterns, our arguing, our ugly fighting, the ways we don't appreciate each other, or we certainly don't demonstrate our appreciation anymore, taking each other for granted. For couples who take my Become Passion three-month immersion program, there's a, a VIP program they can join later, which is a month-by-month membership. In that membership, we have uh, Zoom date nights together. We have a men's group that the guys do. We have a women's group that the women do. And what we work on every month are actions to move our relationship forward. So this month, 
I gave a daily challenge to that group. So for the month of July, the daily challenge is do something every day to make your partner feel desired and desirable. The weekly challenge currently is once a week, schedule a sensual encounter. Now, if you're a couple who's not having sex, you might not have had sex in months or years. 30% of you haven't. Then your sensual encounter, because we got to start where you are, might be to lay on the couch with all your clothes on, face-to-face, embracing each other, and just breathing and connecting in that way. We start where you are. The point I'm making is this. It's almost never too late to begin again. I've had couples in just such dire straits in their relationship, renovate their relationship. It takes time. It takes hella effort. It takes courage and wisdom and two steps forward and one and seven eighths step back sometimes who have moved their relationship with skills, with education, with training, with courage, and with practice and accountability and doing what it goddamn well takes to move from A to B and have at the end. And you can see this in some of the testimonials of the couples. They say, because of this program or whatever other work you may choose to do, we now know how to communicate in a different way. We know how to handle the tough arguments and stop them from getting ugly or damaging or as hurtful as they used to. We prioritize our sexual life. We understand that being horny and attracted isn't something that's a standalone quality. It is often in our earlier dating relationship when we haven't got the history yet. We haven't got the burden yet of some of what we're each carrying because of the last years or decades of our relationship, the hurts, the disappointments, the ups, the downs, the life pressures, the dizzying mortgage, the financial pressures, COVID, isolation, external pressures on a a board. If we put a whole bunch of bricks on the board, it might be fine. Put a bunch more on, it's fine, but it's starting to get overloaded. Put a bunch more on and it's going to develop a crack. Put more on and it's going to break. I hope some of you listening that will take this episode as as a small tea light of hope in the darkness, that if there's a lot of bricks on the board of your relationship and you feel it might be time to allow it to break and walk away, you might be correct. That might be the compassionate, wise move. That might be the nurturing move. But I'd much rather couples who aren't dealing with abuse or danger, give it one last try in whatever way makes sense to you to say, can we learn to begin again? Not literally, but figuratively, Can we learn to speak in a different way? Can we learn to be kinder? Can we learn to have more fun? Can we learn to talk about the issues we're afraid to talk about in a way that doesn't devolve into an ugly, ongoing, pointless, harmful argument? Can we learn how to apologize, repair, and come back together? Can we learn how to date each other again? Can we learn how to have fun and more excitement and more pleasure and more delight in each other? Can we appreciate each other the way the person you might be tempted to have an affair with appreciates you? The way the person your partner might be tempted to have an affair with appreciates them. They're kind, they're interested, they're flirtatious, they're complimentary. Can we learn to nurture our sexual life? Moving from sexless to sexual, one slow step at a time. That's something you need a sexual therapist for. Most couples therapists that don't let you know they're also trained in sex therapy don't know a great deal about sex therapy. That's fine. They do beautiful work on communication and conflict resolution and understanding your patterns and your attachment patterns. They may or may not be qualified to help you with your sexual issues. 
If there's a glimmer of hope, my heartfelt wish is that you do the work in whatever form and however it looks for you to say, babe, we're worth one more major try. We're worth staying, not going, to see, to see if we can reignite, to see if we can learn things that none of us are taught in school. None of us learn it in our family of origin. Maybe 5% or 3% of you did, and I applaud your parents. If you learned in your family of origin how to express love and affection because you watched your mom and dad or your mom and mom or your dad and dads do it, if you learned how to communicate when upset in a way that's effective and fairly respectful, if you learned that emotions aren't bad, including lots of anger or lots of grief or lots of fear, but that those can be regulated and respected and you can communicate not letting those flooded emotions hijack you so you become abusive, irrational, and unfair. If you learned that sex matters, if your parents clearly had a sensual relationship in an appropriate way, they kissed in front of you, hey, mom, dad, gross. Yay, mom and dad or dad and dad or mom and mom for kissing in front of your kids, for teaching your kids that when the bedroom door is locked, it means that mom and dad are having, or mom and mom or dad and dad are having private time. And that's a beautiful thing. And to knock if it's super important. How was sex, love, relationship, adoration, respect, long-term commitment modeled by your parents? They may be fantastic people who are still together and still love each other, but did they have the kind of skills I want each and every one of you to learn? I don't know. And if so, how can we help you emulate your parents? The few that really did it right. How can we help you be those parents? So you demonstrate for your kids in your family what love can look like, what respect can look like, what being playful as a couple can look like, what affection and interest and gratitude and kindness and communication and conflict management can look like. Yes, you'll muck up. Yeah, you'll screw up. Yeah, you'll make mistakes. And then you'll teach your kids how to recover from mistakes. You'll teach your kids how to repair, how to apologize. I have an episode you might want to listen to called How to Apologize Like a Mofo. These are incredible skills. So, okay, Cheryl, I still don't know whether to stay or whether to go. And we're almost at the end of this episode. I don't know whether you should stay or should go, except for the caveats I've mentioned. What I do know is this. Relationship is a dynamic, changing, organically creative thing. What are you going to do with yours? If it's in a coma, you can take it off life support and allow it to die and walk away. Sometimes that is the wise and compassionate thing to do for you and even for your partner. Sometimes you can stay in a coma until death do us part, more or less parallel lives, hopefully being at least civil to each other in the house, doing what you love, they do what they love, you enjoy the grandkids together. I'm not a big fan of that. I'd prefer you have more. And some of you can choose. Your partner may or may not meet you there yet, but you can choose to say, I want to be more. I want us to be happier, more passionate, more connected. I want us to have skills we simply don't have. I didn't either. And even the mad skills I do have, I struggle to apply them all the time because I'm human. It's a lifelong path, my friends. And I'm in it for life with the person I'm committed to, my hubby of 10 years now. And I'm 58 years old. I don't have time or energy to train another one. So 
He and I are committed. We do the work I teach. We literally do the exercises. We do a daily commitment. We do a weekly commitment. We do a monthly commitment. In my program, I call that designing your passion plan. And everybody's is different based on your needs and what you value the most and what your relationship will uh, benefit from right now. Should I stay or should I go? Stay and see if you can change it. Or go if your partner is adamant that they won't participate in that with you. Or, of course, if there's safety or abuse issues. But here's the thing. You only ever have three choices in a romantic relationship. Let's distill this down. Choice one is you stay the way you are. Choice two is you break up, you leave, it's over. Choice three is you stay, but you change it. That's what all of my work is focused on. And it won't apply to everybody listening, but it may apply to the majority of you. Stay in the relationship you're in, but change it. And because you're not a masochist, you want to change it for the better, not the worse. And what do you need? Skills, training, things to do, things to change, knowledge. You can get that a number of very qualified places. One place to start is a good relationship book. My book is a good relationship. There are many good relationship books out there. Don't, if my, I'm not your flavor, no problem. If you're listening to this podcast and you've listened to it this far, I may be one of your flavors, then there's a $15 or whatever way to get some ideas. My program's another way. Going to therapy, sex therapy, couples therapy, as I said, there are many ways. Even figuring it out your own, going on a cross-country trip in an RV and working on your relationship, your fun, what I call your sensuality, your thrill, and your intimacy, my three teaching models of the Passion Triangle. I'd prefer you didn't give up unless you have no choice because your partner's out, out, out. Then hold space for them in your heart, but take good care of yourself and grieve what you need to grieve because that hot coal burnt you real bad. But if there's a chance to begin again, I hope you'll begin again in whatever way makes sense for you and the person you still love. Which brings us to this episode's love bite. It's never too late to begin again. There's a tiny flicker of light in the darkness. Protect it. And maybe with your attention, your effort, your hope and your love, and some skills and training, you can turn that light into the bonfire of a reignited relationship. Thank you so much for joining me on Sex, Love and Elephants in our brand new Summer of Love series, we'll all be answering your relationship questions for the months of July and August, dropping an episode every Monday. Next week, I'll be talking about the very interesting topic of, we don't fight. Is that a problem? How can we learn to talk about stuff we're afraid to talk about? So that's what we'll talk about in the next episode of Sex, Love, and Elephants. But send me your questions. And if I use your question, let me know if I can use your name or not. It's not necessary that I do. But if I use your question, we'll also be sending you a little gift pack, which is a series of beautiful art cards uh, about become passion, about some of my quotes that you can share with your sweetheart or other people you love. All right, all right, all right. I'll be with you next week. Have a beautiful, passionate day. Go hug your sweetheart. I love you. Let's begin again. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Sex, Love, and Elephants. But most of all, thank you for being part of this herd. 
If you enjoyed listening, please share this with a friend. And if you haven't already, I would love, love, love it if you would subscribe, rate, and review the show on your podcast player because it really helps all the other elephants find us. If you have any questions or comments or maybe an idea for the show or you'd like to be a guest, reach out to me directly at drcherylfraser.com where you can also sign up for weekly Love Bites, science-based tips for creating love and passion that last a lifetime.